time I get up and say good morning, and it's like crickets. So thank you. Thank you. Even though we have a smaller crowd today, thank you for being invested and being here. Um, I saw in community break uh, a few people that, you know, the, the worship service and what Kayla had to share, it really seemed to resonate with you, and I praise God for that. And I encourage you, uh, don't stop yet. There is more. Now, I'm not trying to puff myself up, but I'm trying to puff God up, right? Because he has already done work this morning, and I believe that he's not done yet. So I would encourage you to, uh, as uh, my mom used to say, uh, to turn on your expector and uh, get ready. Expect to receive something from God this morning because he is awesome. He is here and present in this place, and I believe that he has more for each of us. All right, so I'm going to just pray real quick, uh, invite the Holy Spirit to speak through me and to prepare all of our hearts. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you for the privilege of speaking your word and your life. I ask that you would speak through me, that you would prepare my heart, prepare the hearts of everyone who is here to receive what you have for us. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we have been going through a series on the book of Ephesians called Seize the Moment, and uh, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like Pastor Jim has just been crushing it with this series, like going through verse by verse. Yeah, I mean, we have an incredibly gifted pastor, and I praise God for that. Uh, Now, Pastor Jim is not here this morning. He is home with his family. We'll be sharing an update later towards the end of service about how everything is going with their family. Uh, But things are going very, very well. God's answering prayers, and things are going well. We'll provide more information later. Uh, But Pastor Jim started us on this series. Um, I believe today is week 11 of the series, and we are getting to the very end of the book of Ephesians. It's been an awesome ride. Uh, if you have missed something, I encourage you go onto the City Church YouTube channel and check out some previous messages because every single one of them just just hits home. It's been incredible. Uh, as I said, this is a. It looks like I'm on the wrong slide here. We got Isaac or Trey. Trey, I, it looks like I'm on uh, lyrics for for worship here. Yeah, that's that's not my. Uh, oh, God, come on up, Michael. All right. We'll try again. Ready for me, Trey? Hey, let's give a hand clap to Trey. Thank you, Trey. You guys, we have such an amazing production team at City Church. Guys like Trey show up, and they get here early. Like, I would still be in bed at that time if I could be, but I have a two-year-and-a-half-year-old, so I'm, I'm up really early. Uh, but they get here early, and they make sure stuff's working, and they fix things so quickly like that. So thank you, Trey. Thank you, Quinn. Thank you, Isaac. You guys rock. I so appreciate you. Yes, absolutely. So, as I said, uh, we're on this uh, series uh, in the book of Ephesians. This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus. And uh, Ephesus is a healthy church. And I just wanted to take a moment and talk about that because, um, as I said, everything in this series has really been hitting home. There's been a lot of good, challenging stuff. There's been a lot of stuff that maybe... uh, provided you some insights into what God is doing in your life, maybe opened your eyes to ways that God is working that you'd not considered before. And this is all written to a healthy church. Um, now, we, before we dove into this series on Ephesians, we were doing a series on the book of Galatians, and Galatians was not a healthy church, the church in Galatia that the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to. So he was writing to them to correct them in issues of uh, division. And uh, for all intents and purposes, Ephesus is a healthy church. And so I just want you to consider for a moment that if all the stuff that we have been talking about in this series is written to a healthy church, that just has that much more impact. So if you think you're in a healthy place, that's a good thing. That also means God's ready for you to step up and take it to the next level. And the book of Ephesians is a great book to read if you're ready to take it to the next level. And I also believe that we as a church are in a pretty healthy place. Now, we, over the last couple years, have had some ups and downs, and we've gone through some heartache, and a lot of that has hit our our pastor and his family. They have handled it with grace and maturity, um, and we have been able to walk through some of that, and I think we're in a healthier place than we ever have been as a church. So I would encourage you, if you're here this morning, you're part of a healthy church, and it's time to step up to the next level of what God is calling you to do. So that's who we are this morning. We are reading about the church in Ephesus because I believe we are very much like the church in Ephesus. We're not perfect, but we've got a lot of stuff going for us, and God is ready to take us to the next level. So this is instruction for life in Christ. 
Uh, so again, healthy church, but still you need instruction, right? Everybody's got stuff to learn. And this has included things like a call to reject sin, a call to unity as a body of believers, and most recently, um, expressing faith in Christ by obeying those in authority, which is not super popular, if we're honest, right? Nobody likes that word really, authority, um, but we are told in the book of Ephesians that we should obey those in authority. It talks about parents and children. It talks about masters and slaves. And I, I do believe, and Pastor Jim dove into this uh, great last week, so you can take a closer look, uh, but um, that applies also, I think, to our professional workplace, right? So you have made an agreement to work for somewhere, and we are supposed to be in obedience to the authorities there. I believe we're supposed to be in obedience to the authorities that God has placed in the government, uh, this is uh, including the president, Congress. Maybe we don't agree with all their decisions. I know I don't always agree with all their decisions, right? But we are still to respect their authority. And Scripture says that God places the leaders in place. So we're supposed to obey authority. And if you have a hard time doing that, maybe you should start praying for your authorities and see, ask that God would draw them closer to him and perhaps change their hearts if you don't believe they're making godly decisions. So that would be my challenge to you when it comes to authority. Uh, today we're diving into the armor of God, and I've entitled this message Modern Warfare because I want us to, to step away a little bit from the traditional view of uh, the armor of God. If you've heard an armor of God uh, message before, you probably have heard it related to a Roman soldier because that's what the audience at the time would have seen, right, uh, is a Roman soldier. And I will talk about that a little bit, uh, but I want to take a look at it from a, a more modern perspective because I believe everything about the armor of God is applicable here and now and not just history. And I want to thank Brian Lightborn. Brian uh, helped me out this week by giving me a little bit of perspective into what modern military equipment might look like. I know Brian's in the military. Who else is in the military in the house today? Nobody. Nobody. Here we go in the back. I know we've got some military folks here. I know we've got some veterans here. So uh, I hope that that I don't mess anything up, Brian. I hope I interpreted your notes correctly. Uh, but I thought it would be really cool to look at stuff, not just from the perspective of a Roman soldier, but for, for more of a modern soldier. And if you have a hard time looking at God as someone who would have you be a soldier, then I encourage you to take a closer look at your scripture. Because all throughout the Old Testament, he calls the Israelites to fight. He does not call them to, to domineer or to devastate. He does not call them to, to be dictators but he does call them to fight for what he has called them to. He calls them to be a people set apart and to fight for that. And that is what we are called to do as a church. We're not supposed to be of the world. We're in the world, but not of the world. And that's part of what the armor of God is. It's, scripture says God himself is a warrior. Uh, and if we look in the book of Revelations at the return of Christ, he is a warrior. He is riding on a white horse, carrying a sword. It says he's got a, a robe dipped in blood. Like, he is not coming with lambs and lilies and just to, to love on all the children. He is coming to free his people for eternity. And that takes a fight. So I'd encourage you, this is part of God's character. And so let's not dismiss this part of who he has called us to be. So we begin in Ephesians 6 in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now, it starts with this word finally because this is something that the Apostle Paul has been laying a foundation for. This is the last thought on six, or excuse me, five and a half previous chapters covering instruction for a healthy church. Now, I want to remind you it is for a healthy church, and so. Even a healthy church has a lot that we can work on. So he's been laying a foundation, and everything that came before has been building to this. So just as kind of a quick recap of some of the things that have come before, um, we talked about your identity in Christ, your prayers for others, your journey from death to life, your eternal citizenship. And I use this your language uh, for, for the believer, for the person who has made Jesus their Savior and the Lord of their life. Your role in the mystery of the gospel. God's power at work within you. God's plan to mature you. God's truth spoken to and through you. God's love instead of the world's lust. And God's heart for unity 
among his people. God's call to obedience. That's really lightweight stuff, right? You got all that? That is a ton of information. So finally, with the understanding of all that has come previously, finally we are ready to hear about the armor of God. And so, again, I'd encourage you, go back and listen to those previous sermons because it is all build up to this passage. Because if you are not in that healthy place, you're not ready to put on the armor. So finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And I want to talk about strength for a moment uh, because, well, how are we supposed to be strong? Right? Sure, be strong in the Lord. How are we supposed to do it? Do the thing. Do the thing that we spent the last three months talking about, right? This includes rejecting sin, speaking truth, loving God, and loving others. So we are to be strong in the Lord by practicing the things that we have been studying in the book of Ephesians. And then do it again and again because this is not a one-time deal. It's not something to mark off your to-do list. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I fall into the trap of uh, what I call uh, checklist Christianity, where I have, you know, check, done my Bible study, check, attended Sunday morning service, check, prayed for somebody, and it's really easy, at least for me, to fall into that mentality sometimes because that simplifies it, right? And the funny thing is, I'm not even a checklist guy. My wife loves checklists. She is great at making lists and helps keep me organized. On my own, I'm like, ugh, but somehow that makes sense for my faith, for the most important thing in my life. So it's, it's a challenge, but please don't make this your checklist Christianity because it's not just a to-do list. This is a new way to live. This should inform everything that you say and everything that you do. It's like working out or building a muscle. Um, anybody in here like to go to the gym? That was much less enthusiastic than earlier. Just going to say. That's all right. I'm with you. I'm not enthusiastic about the gym either, but it is good for us, right? We have to build that muscle. We have to work out so that we have the strength that we need because we are called to be strong in the Lord. And so if we feel like we are weak in the Lord, if we are not strong, we cannot equip that armor. Now, we are told to put on the whole armor of God and just to take a look at armor real quick, in the context of uh, a Roman soldier, we're talking 45 pounds of equipment. That's a lot of weight. Uh, Brian told me that uh, a modern soldier will carry between 70 and 120 pounds, depending upon their specialty. That's a lot of weight. Do you think that they're skipping out on gym days? Probably not. There's a reason that they have PT every morning, right? Like, you, you don't skip out on your gym time if you're carrying that much weight. So as Christians, we can't skip out on exercising our obedience to God, on exercising our understanding of his word and putting things into practice because that's a lot of weight that we have to carry. And it's not just so that we can carry a load. It's so that we can be prepared to stand against the enemy because armor is heavy, but it is needed. I don't know about you guys, but I have been hurt at times. I've been hurt by other people. I have been hurt by things that are said and done. I have been hurt by wrong belief systems that I have held. And we need the armor of God to help protect us from those things. We have to condition ourselves to wear it. So we're told to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, this word schemes is interesting, and I want to just take a moment and talk about this because schemes almost implies, you know, kind of like Loki. Anybody watching Loki? That's, it's a fun show. I'm enjoying it. Loki's a fun character, right? He's this trickster, right? He's kind of, he's not really a bad guy, but I want to make it really clear that this is not our perspective of the enemy, right? He's not a hero or an anti-hero. He's not a trickster. Uh, this word schemes means cunning arts, deceit, craft, or trickery in the Greek. And I like to go back to John 10, 10 to really remind me of who this enemy is. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That is who our enemy is. So let's not get confused with this idea of schemes. These schemes are intended to destroy us. Now, the good news is Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So while the enemy tries to destroy us, Jesus isn't going to have any of that. 
but your enemy hates you and he does want to destroy you. And so our defense is the armor of God. And we are told to put on the whole armor of God that we may stand. And this, this language stand is really interesting. It doesn't say put on the whole armor of God so that you're ready to fight. It says to stand. And it's interesting this perspective that we can't even stand against the enemy without God. The enemy is that powerful. And I'm not trying to, to diminish God's power at all because to, to God, the enemy is nothing, has nothing, cannot do anything against God. God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and the enemy doesn't stand a chance against him. But if we try to stand against the enemy by ourselves, we will fall, which is why we need God. Now, it's hard sometimes to need someone. I get that. As, as a man, and I think this is true of a lot of men, we really don't like needing people. We, we have this thing within us that wants to do it by ourselves, right? But I think if we're really honest and we remove the fig leaf for a moment, we'll say, I can't do it by myself. Like, you need somebody to show you the way, right? So we need God to help us stand. This word stand in the Greek, uh, and I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce that. If you, if you want, you can Google it and hear the pronunciation. Uh, but it means to continue safe and sound, to stand unharmed, to stand ready or prepared. And it's a, of a quality of one who does not hesitate and does not waver. I really like that language of does not waver. I feel like that's really appropriate with our understanding of the armor of God. We wear it so that we will not waver. So if you are in a place where you're ready to take it to that next level, you're ready to stand and put on the armor of God, keep in mind that it's not because you're ready to go have a fight. It's ready so you can stand and not waver so that you can withstand the attacks of the enemy. Because our enemy is unlike anyone else that we may have faced. Now, we, we understand what an enemy is in at least a, a physical context, right? Because we are in, in a world where we constantly hear of wars or battles or, or just fights between groups of people all over the world, right? It's, it's impossible to avoid. But those are fights between people. And this is very, very different because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, Ephesians says, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So this is the description of our enemy. This is not a human enemy. These are not humans in authority. These are spiritual beings. The, these words rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, and spiritual forces uh, if you look at these in the Greek, they all very clearly describe a spiritual being. And so we also are spiritual beings. We are three-part beings, and one part of that is the spirit, right? Just like uh, Jesus had a spirit, we have a spirit. We are spiritual beings. But these spiritual beings, these rulers, uh, and this is another, the, excuse me, the Greek word rulers here is talking about a principality, rule, magistry of angels and demons. So this is a spiritual being standing against us. And if we're honest, it sounds a little bit like the boogeyman, right? It sounds a little bit like the boogeyman because, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a horror movie guy. I hate horror movies, but I have seen one or two. And this is the, seems like the kind of thing that just makes Hollywood money, right? Uh, the interesting thing, though, is if you take a step back and look at it, it's a really solid tactic. Why wouldn't the enemy want us to just think of him as the boogeyman? Because you won't stand against something you don't believe is there. So I challenge you, take it seriously, because we do have an enemy. He's not just a boogeyman. He's not some Hollywood movie creature. He's a real enemy. And the enemy, I believe, takes whatever form is most effective. So, you know, we, we don't really see what we would consider demons in our society. Um, however, if you take a mission trip, and, and Kayla has just come back from a recent mission trip, uh, we support missionaries all over the world that see physical manifestations of demonic presences. These are things that are scary, and they look like something out of the horror film, and it's real. Now, I'm not trying to scare anybody, but, but this, is, this is real. Um, I believe the reason we don't see that here is because in our society, 
it would be dismissed as a trick or a special effect, right? Oh, yeah, I mean, I saw that, I saw that on a movie last week, or that's in a video game or whatever, because somehow our more reasoned or progressive mindset says, well, that's not real. So put that mindset to the side and understand that it's to the enemy's advantage to make you think that, to make you think that he's just a trick. Recognize the threat because it is real, but also don't live in fear because the good news is that, as Paul wrote in Romans 8, neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So yes, the enemy is real, but the enemy cannot separate us from God. The enemy cannot separate us from the love of God. But we do need God so we can stand against these forces. We cannot stand against them on our own. So as we continue in the book of Ephesians, as we start to get a little bit into the armor, we're told to take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Now, this word withstand is... uh, slightly different than the other language that says just to stand. The word withstand means to resist, to set against, to oppose. Uh, And so I think that we need to kind of put both these withstand and stand together to understand that we put on the armor of God to resist and not waver. So we, we are equipped in God's armor to resist and not waver. And this word evil day, I had to look into this in in the original Greek because um, if you've studied the Bible very much at all, there are certain days that that Scripture talks about, right? And I thought, okay, is this a specific day that it's talking about? And it's not, actually. Um, It is not referencing a specific day like the day of the Lord. Um, It actually is just referencing what you might call evil times uh, because God knows that we live in a broken world and that there will be evil times. I mean, if you lived through the last year and a half, you know there are evil times, right? Like, life can get hard. And so we're not just preparing for a specific day, but we're preparing for the inevitable times because the evil times do come, which to me is actually kind of a relief because I'm not waiting for this one moment. I am developing a lifestyle of preparation to stand during the evil times. So we're actually going to start getting into the individual pieces of armor. Before we do, though, um, I want to point out real quickly this ING. So it says, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. So the, the word choice is very, very intentional here. Having means already done. You've already put it on. Your armor has to be on first before you try to stand. Don't stand up and say, oh, yeah, let me go grab that belt real quick. The armor has to be on first. So first, put on the belt of truth. Now the belt of truth, and again we're going to talk about this from the perspective of the Roman soldier and also a modern soldier. The belt of truth, uh, the belt for a Roman soldier helped seal the armor and keep equipment in place. So if you did not have the belt fastened appropriately, something might fall off, something might have a gap that would expose you. So the belt is really, really important. It's equally important for a modern soldier. This is a a picture of a variety of different belts that a modern soldier might have. Uh, You can see the one in the middle is more tactical and has all kinds of different things that the soldier might need. The point of this kind of belt is that it's designed to secure and stabilize gear for quick access during a fight. Because when you are in the midst of something, you need quick access. So the belt of truth holds everything together. The truth holds everything together. The, the truth of God's word. If you do not have a foundational truth in God's word, then your faith can be picked apart. This is why we talk so much about the inerrancy of scripture. We believe that the entirety of the Bible from the book of Genesis through the book of Revelation was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And the words that were written were not just made up by men, but were given to men by God to express his plan for mankind. And so if you do not believe that, if you do not have that foundation of truth, your belt's not going to hold up your pants and you're going to be really embarrassed. 
But that's what we need. Because if you don't have that foundation, it's really easy to pick apart Scripture. Well, I believe this part, but not that part. And if you, if you even give an inch to say, well, I don't, I don't think that's really what was meant. I think maybe Moses or Paul or whoever misheard God on that one. Well, then how do you know that what we have about what Jesus said isn't accurate? The belt of truth holds everything together. You have to have that truth as a firm foundation. And making the modern comparison again, you want quick access to the truth when you need it, right? If you are in the midst of a fight, you need the truth and you need it handy. Now, I'm not just talking about keeping your Bible at your side, which is really good. It's good to have it there. It's good to know it, but it's also good, as Jesus says, to abide in my word in John 8. He says, if you, uh, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So abiding in his word means spending time reading the Bible. I'm going to make it as plain as I can. Read the Bible. It's really, really important. This is, uh, you know, if, if you grew up in the church like I did, we had a really awesome acronym, B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth, right? I, I heard some, some people grew up with that too. I hear that. Basic instructions before leaving earth, it's, it's, it sounds a little bit nerdy, but it's true. It's absolutely true. We have to abide in his word. Truth comes from God's word and anything else anything else that is your foundation for truth will lead you to slavery. Whether that's a political party or a, an organization that you follow, anything else, if it is not first founded in the truth of God, will lead to slavery. This is why we have so many people in the modern church who are turning away because they don't have the foundation of the truth. And they are looking towards what this person thinks or this person says Pastor Jim has called out people from the platform, modern authors who claim to be followers of Christ, who say things like, well, that part of the Bible's not true. That is a lie from the pit of hell. The Bible is true. Anything else leads to slavery. Know the truth and do not compromise. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. So we start with the truth. That's our foundation. And then having put on the breastplate of of righteousness. This is a really cool one. Uh, the breastplate, of course, protects the vital organs. Uh, your heart, your lungs, your, your intestines, all of that is protected by the breastplate. Uh, for some modern tactical gear, this is called the improved outer tactical vest, or the IOTV. And it looks like this. You can see that would provide some good coverage. Uh, depending upon what setup you have, you can insert ceramic plates into different parts of this to provide added protection. That's where we move from that 70 pounds to 120 pounds because these things can get heavy. Uh, you should take a minute, if this is interesting to you, and, and Google later uh, some images because you can see on these plates where somebody took a round and they would have died if it were not for this. So the breastplate is vital. It protects against fragmentation, knives, and small caliber rounds. Uh, and with those ceramic plates against armor-piercing rounds. And I believe this is, this is what Satan really tries to use on us, are these armor-piercing rounds, because he doesn't want to just hurt us. He wants to destroy us. The enemy aims for the most vital organ. I believe that most vital organ is our heart. Proverbs 4, and this is from the NIV. Um, most of the time we are using the ESV, but I, I love the way that this... Uh, translates it, and this is the, the version that I have memorized. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Now, we have gotten some bad theology in the modern church surrounding the heart because we've gotten confused at times because there are scriptures that talk about the heart uh, being evil. But, but the truth is that those scriptures have been taken out of context because God's original creation of your heart was good. If you look way back in Genesis... Not only does it say that God's creation of man was good, but it's the only thing in all of creation that God said was very good, and that includes the heart. That includes the heart, and I believe that includes the desires of the heart. Psalm 37 says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And this is where our bad theology has started to take place, is because we have forgotten this first step of delight yourself in the Lord. Because this word desire has become almost a dirty word in a lot of churches. 
because somehow that gets tied to, to hidden desires, secret desires, sexual desires, unhealthy things. And those are unhealthy things. I'm not saying that those are from the Lord. I am saying that if you first delight yourself in the Lord, then you can trust the desires of your heart. And God wants to give them to you. I believe God placed them within you. And this isn't just saying, oh, you know, I've got this desire to, to lead others in worship. We have a, a wonderful worship leader with Michael, and we are so thankful that he's here, and that's a desire God's put in his heart. But also, God puts desires in your heart to say, I like to, to have conversations with others. I like to make movies. I like to go rock climbing. God put those desires in your heart for a reason, because do you know that he's going to reach other people through that? And also, he just loves you, and he wants you to enjoy life. So God gave you those desires. Delight yourself first in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. He made your heart good. He gave you godly desires. You just have to make sure you do things in the right order. And God made your heart right with him. That's the easy way to remember what righteousness means, is right with God. So God, if you're a believer, he made your heart right with him. The enemy tries to make you question your desires and your right standing with God. The enemy will say, well, if you desire this, and this has happened to me, guys. I'm not just you know, making this up. I have in the past felt like if I desire something, if I want something, and it's not like spelled out in the Bible, well, then it's wrong, which is another lie from the pit of hell because God gives us good and godly desires. But Satan tries to make us question that. He also will try to make you question your right standing with God. Are you really, are you really saved? Are you really righteous? That thing that you did yesterday, that thing that you did last week, are you sure? Are you sure? But if you remember earlier, we saw that nothing can separate us from the love of God. We have right standing. Certainly we have moments where we are disobedient, but that does not mean that we have lost our right standing. That means we need to correct that behavior and move forward in life with God. So living from your God-given desires puts you where God created you to be. I wholeheartedly believe this. If you have been trying to squash those desires down, then I'd encourage you, try, try to, to just see what following those does. Again, delight yourself in the Lord. Begin with that relationship with God. Don't, don't just follow a desire because it feels good but because you have started with, God, I love you. I want the good things that you have for me. Please awaken the desires within me that you put there. And the really cool thing is that I believe you'll find some of these things are things that have been in your heart since you were a kid because God put them there when he formed you in your mother's womb. And I believe that if you are following God wholeheartedly, that he will put those desires in your heart and he will give them to you. Uh, the other thing is that we need our heart just to follow God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Guard your heart and live wholeheartedly. Without it, you're not going to live in the life that God has given you. I'm not saying you're going to have a bad life, but you will not know the abundant life that John 10.10 10 talks about. That abundant life is not just in eternity but it is here and now that that life begins, and I believe you can have that if you delight yourself in the Lord and follow the desires that he put within your heart. So moving on to the next piece of armor here, uh, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, the, the previous pieces of armor are like, really, they roll off the tongue, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes for your feet ready by the gospel of peace. So I'm going to call these the combat boots of readiness, all right? The combat boots of readiness. Now, a lot of the times they, these get called the shoes of peace, but I believe if we look at the, the scripture, it is really more about readiness to share the gospel of peace. So ready to share the gospel. Uh, now, Feet are sensitive, right? We know this. If you have ever stepped on a Lego, you know that feet are sensitive. These things hurt, so we got to protect our feet, right? And we need a firm footing to stand. If, we, if the purpose of the armor is to stand, we need to make sure that our feet are properly equipped so we can stand. You don't want to step on a Lego and fall over. Now, this is a, a combat boot uh, that you might wear in the military. The really cool thing about military footwear 
is that um, not only is it lightweight and extremely durable, but it's appropriate for the environment. So whether you are in a warm environment or a cold environment, uh, whether it's rocky terrain or sandy terrain, the military is going to equip you with the appropriate footwear for that terrain. And so what we need to take from this spiritually is that we need to make sure our footwear matches where we're going. So that means that we need to be ready to share the gospel when the opportunity arises. Now, for each of us, this can look a little bit different. The foundation is the truth, that, that belt of truth, knowing the word of God, living out the word of God. But there are certain areas where God has called each of us to minister. And sometimes these are through specific relationships. Sometimes these are within the church. I believe most of the time this just happens in life as you're out on the job or you're filling up uh, the, the car with gas or whatever it may be. So be ready to share the gospel when the opportunity arises. In 1 Peter 3, Peter wrote, uh, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Now, in this context, Peter's actually writing to Christians who are about to be killed. Um, and this is one of the things that is so wild to me about Christianity is that people who don't know God recognize in these circumstances there is something different. You're about to be killed, but you don't seem intimidated by that because they have that hope. Now, of course, we live in a society where, you know, as, as Kayla was mentioning earlier, praise God that we can meet openly, that we don't have to have an underground church, that we can speak freely, but there are places in the world where you can be killed for professing faith in Jesus Christ. Praise God that he equips us with that answer that we can be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. But also in our time here, the other application is that, that anywhere we are, the Holy Spirit can work within us. But we have to be prepared. We have to have that foundation in the truth to be spending time with God so that we're ready to share a reason for the hope that we have. So know the gospel and be ready. Our next piece of armor is the shield of faith. It says, in all circumstances, so not just in some circumstances, but in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, the shield is intended to uh, stop what the armor might not. There's a reason that this is a separate piece of equipment removed from the body, because especially in uh, Roman times, there were projectiles, arrows, spears, whatever is coming your way that would absolutely tear you up if it hit your regular armor. This is why you have that shield that goes out first. This is heavy duty. This is going to be able to protect you. Uh, but what's interesting is that as, as big and protective as these shields are, by themselves, they weren't as effective as they could be. And I'll get into that in just a moment. But the shield is intended to stop what the armor might not. And it's talking about these flaming darts of the evil one. And these flaming darts can take many shapes. They can be thoughts, feelings, fears, which are not our own. Uh, as, as Kayla was sharing earlier, these can be shame that you carry with you. You know that that's not from God. Thoughts, feelings, and fears which are not our own are, are ways that the enemy tries to attack us. And I, I want to challenge you. Do you think that every thought going through your head is from you? Because it's not. I would encourage you to ask the question, who said that? If, if spiritual beings are real and we understand a little bit of, of their ability, we have to understand that they have an ability to make us believe something is our own thought. And sometimes this can take the form of thoughts like, you're not good enough, or you don't have what it takes, or you'll never be that person. Jesus couldn't love you. Those are lies. Those are not from God. If you ever have something that comes through your head like that, stop and ask the question, who said that? Did that come from me? I would bet you it didn't. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 10.5. We have been given discernment by the Holy Spirit. Now, there is a special gift of discernment that the Holy Spirit talks about, but every believer can have the discernment to know thoughts that come from God and thoughts that do not. And I'd encourage you to practice that, exercise that discernment. The one of the ways that the shield works best, that your discernment works best, 
is in community. As I said earlier, that shield, sure, it can protect you. It's big, it's bulky, but you can only hold it in one place at a time, and you have your back and your sides, anything else that could be attacked. And in Roman times, these shields were built so that they could be locked together. Um, there is a really cool scene in the movie Gladiator, uh, which is just such a cool man movie if you've never seen it, uh, where uh, these guys, these are all slaves in the uh, arena, in the Colosseum, and they are reenacting a battle where they are supposed to be the losers. Because they, sure, they have these, these spears and these shields, but the, uh, in this reenactment, the victors are riding in chariots with their own spears and with these blades attached to the wheels of the chariots, and they're ready to tear these guys apart. But in the movie, uh, Maximus, who's the, the main character, he is a previous general, and he says, okay, lock your shields. If you want to survive, stick together. And they lock their shields, and the enemy tries to attack them, but the blades snap off because these shields are locked together. And then at one point, Maximus says, okay, move, and they shift their shield barrier just a little bit and actually knock over this entire chariot, and the horse goes rolling, and if you're an animal lover, I'm sure no animals were harmed in the making of this sermon. Um, but, uh, but man, that's powerful, isn't that? What can be good defense for an individual can totally change the outcome of a battle for a group of people. And so uh, when, when Brian was giving me his perspective on this, when it comes to the modern military, um, he actually uh, suggested something a little bit different because modern military does not carry a shield, right? But we need to let others remind us of God's truth and faithfulness. And in the modern military, Brian suggested that the shield is the radio, right? Because you can call in additional support. If you are in the field and you need additional support, additional soldiers, additional equipment, you can call that in. And you can have the strength that comes in numbers. You can have the defense that comes with that. And so the, the application both from the Roman soldier and from the modern soldier is you're not supposed to do this alone. You need to find someone to lock shields with. Now, this can be a prayer partner, and that can be something that happens on a Sunday morning as you pray with someone here. That can be something that happens through a text message. Did you know that God can use and does use every way that we can connect with one another? You know, if, if you want to tweet it out and find somebody on Twitter um, that is going to pray with you, that is going to remind you of who God is, God will use that. So in any context... Now, within the church, we have Bible studies, we have small groups, we have the, the larger gathering on Sunday morning, uh, but, but I believe that truly the most effective way to lock shields with someone else is to commit to a, a regular, consistent, small group of people who are going to have your back. Because, yes, you come in here on Sunday morning, and I would wager that most people here on Sunday morning would stop and pray with you. But you know what? This can be a lot of people. It can be hard to keep track of everything. And Jesus himself set the model, right? He had a group of 12 individuals that were his core team. Now, he ministered to hundreds, thousands at a time, but he always came back to this core group, this small group of 12 individuals, and they were the ones that locked shields together. So I'd encourage you, uh, again, whether that is something online or something in person, find that small group of individuals who's going to have your back. Uh, we uh, have some small groups that are meeting right now. We'll have more that are launching in the fall. Uh, but just find somebody that is going to have your back, that's going to remind you of God's truth and remind you of God's faithfulness. The next piece of armor is the helmet of salvation. He says to take the helmet of salvation, uh, which if you didn't know, your helmet protects your head. If you didn't know that, you probably needed a helmet. Um, but it, it protects your head. It's very, very straightforward. Uh, this is what a, a modern military helmet might look like. And it protects against blunt trauma, fragmentation, most pistol calibers. Uh, the thing that, that I really take away from this is it's, it's the exact same attacks, right? It's the same attacks that the rest of the body is, is experiencing from the enemy, but the difference is what you do with your head, right? We, we have our thought life is up here, our vision is up here. Uh, if you look at some uh, traditional Roman helmets, a lot of them have a nose guard, which would protect their eyes uh, from a blade trying to come at their eyes. So just think of the, the context of what you do with your head. Um, and in this specific instance, it's called the helmet of salvation uh, because I believe 
It's the, the salvation that we are looking towards. Uh, you can see one way that it's translated is the hope of future salvation. And so I connect that to the eyes. What am I looking towards? What am I looking to in the future? And it is the hope of salvation of Jesus' return uh, because we know that Jesus is not done yet, right? If this life is all there is, then, man, that's disappointing. But Jesus is not done yet. We look forward with hope to salvation through Jesus because there is more to life. As good as life might be right now, Jesus has promised so much more. It says in Revelation 21 verse 4 that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. We're dealing with death and tears and mourning and crying and pain right now. Did you know that God said there's not going to be any more of that? Isn't that good to look forward to? So don't let the enemy steal your hope of salvation, knowing the fullness of all that Jesus has promised, knowing the salvation that is yours in Christ. Now, the the final piece of, of armor or equipment here is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And this is where we move from defense to offense. Every other piece of armor is about protecting you, about defending you from the attacks of the enemy. This is the first piece of equipment that is an offensive piece of equipment. Sure, a sword can be used as a defensive uh, piece of equipment, but primarily it is an offensive weapon. And the the picture that we have of this is Jesus' temptation in Matthew 4. Uh, If you don't remember the passage, this is just after Jesus has been baptized and he goes out into the wilderness. And this is where he is tested or tempted by Satan, where Satan comes at him and says, hey, do this, do that, bow down and worship me. And every single time, Jesus responds with what? With Scripture, with the Word of God, with the sword of the Spirit. Because Jesus knows what the Word says, he has that foundation of truth, and he is able to pull out that sword and to wield it when the enemy comes and says, hey, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Hebrews 4 verse 12 says the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I love how we, we look at scripture as living and active. This is why you can be studying your Bible and you read a passage that you've read hundreds of times before and you get new insight into it because God says, hey, this is for you today. And this is why we want to take the time to abide in God's word so that we can wield it when we need to. Because scripture drives away the enemy and changes eternities if we know how to use it. I could have a Bible by my side all the time, and if I never opened it, it wouldn't do me any good. Most of us do have a Bible by our side all the time on our phones, right? How often do you open it? Now, as we're looking again at the modern context, uh, the M4 carbine is the standard rifle that's issued to soldiers in a combat theater. Now, a combat theater is basically where they need to be ready for action, where they can expect a fight. Um, And this is what it looks like. Uh, That looks like a weapon that you don't want to mess around with, right? That looks like something that you need to understand very clearly how it works. Uh, As I was speaking with with Jim McLean uh, this morning about this, uh, Jim served in the Marines, and he was telling me that in his training, he spent a week dry firing. So what dry fire means is that you have it, you take aim, you pull the trigger, and there's nothing there. There's no bullets. It's just building that muscle memory so that you know how to use it. Because when, when the time comes and you are in the midst of a firefight, you had better know how to use that thing. This is why it's so important and why the army does uh, all kinds of drills, right? This is why you, they, they make sure that the soldiers know how their weapon goes together, they know how to hold it, they know the different positions they can stand in it, and they spend weeks without any ammunition just understanding how it works and how to use it. And after after they have spent weeks understanding how it goes together, the different positions they can take, how they use it, then they actually practice with live rounds. 
It's not, okay, you understand how everything works and now go out into the, the field. No, now you practice with the live rounds. So we need to have the same kind of drills that we do with, with our Bible. Uh, when, when I was in youth group as a teenager, we called these sword drills, right? Yeah. So this is where, uh, and these could take a, a few different forms. Um, we practiced sword drills, and this was back when we all had paper Bibles. Uh, but, okay, who can find Matthew 3, 4, the fastest? Okay, let me flip through that, and who, who can find it the fastest? Or who knows what this verse says, and whoever could say the verse first? Now, uh, because we're, we were teenagers, we were easily rewarded with candy or something like that. Uh, but the application still is there. And even though it's really easy today to just pull out your phone and to just do a quick search for a, a specific topic, um, the enemy isn't going to give you time to search, right? The enemy doesn't say, hey, this thing, this thing that you think about yourself, yeah, that is true, that is true. You are worthless. You don't have what it takes. And he, do you think the enemy really is going to wait to deliver that thought for you to just, oh, let me, let me Google that real quick. Uh-huh, okay. Not using the right search terminology, just a minute. No, this is why you need to know your Bible. This is why you read the Bible, so that when those evil times come, because they will come, you are equipped with the Word of God, and you don't hesitate. You know what the Word says, just as Jesus, when he was tempted in the desert, knew what the Word said, and he spoke it like that. This is why we read our Bible, not just so that we can be holy Christians, but so that when the attack comes, not only can we defend ourselves, but we can respond. And this is not just for, our, for ourselves. We as, as believers, as soldiers in Christ, are not just fighting for ourselves. We're fighting for everyone beside us. And so this is why when someone is hurting or in pain or going through a difficult situation, we can speak life over them with God's word. Now, this is, this is not just platitudes. It's, oh, well, you know, God works all things for the good. That's one of my favorite verses, and I'm not trying to diminish it at all, but we need to make sure that we're not just offering platitudes. We offer truth when the Holy Spirit prompts us to. And so that's why we need to understand the Word of God and why we equip ourselves with God's armor. Now, the final few verses here, we talk about prayer. Uh, it says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Now, I said that the sword was the, the only offensive piece of armor, but if you look at the way that this is structured, it's in the same breath that they're talking about the sword of the Spirit that, that Paul talks about prayer. So I believe that prayer is the other offensive weapon. Certainly prayer can be defensive as well, but I believe it's the other offensive weapon. Uh, Mark Barillet, we've had conversations about prayer before, and, and Mark likes to look at prayer as the heavy artillery. Like, before you get up there to minister, or before you go on that missions trip, you are praying, and God is using that heavy artillery to go soften up the enemy lines. Um, it can be used in so, so many ways. Uh, so we can pray through Scripture. We can pray in song. We can pray the Lord's Prayer. We can pray whatever God has put in our heart, and we can do it out loud. We can do it silently. We can pray in any number of ways. God hears all of it. He hears all of it. Now, we don't always get the answer that we're looking for. Sometimes we, we misunderstand God's purposes. God's ways are higher than our ways, Scripture says, but everything God does has purpose and reason, and he always hears our prayers and always answers them. So we need to be praying all kinds of prayers, is what this passage tells us, and not just all kinds of prayers, but all the time. Now, you know, I'm not saying that, that you can't do anything but be on your knees 24-7. There are times to be on your knees. There are absolutely times to be on your knees before God. But there are also times where you're in traffic and somebody cuts you off, and you can just say that quick prayer, Lord, please help me to have a right heart in this situation. Please help me not want to just honk my horn and yell at this person because that's not Christ-like. Or when you are about to step into that meeting, okay, God, let me speak what you want me to speak. Whatever it may be, take that moment. It takes seconds to shoot a quick prayer out, right? And God hears it. He loves it when you involve him in your daily life. So we have all kinds of prayers all the time for all God's people. That's not just for ourselves. And if I'm honest, a lot of my prayers are selfish. I pray for myself a lot. But 
but I'm supposed to pray for others. I need to pray for my family. I need to pray for other believers. I need to pray for those leaders in authority, especially the leaders in authority that I don't think are doing a very good job. Pray for all God's people. And I love this. He closes uh, this, this passage in verse 19 and says, And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So again, this is written by the Apostle Paul. And, you know, he is, you know, he, he wrote so much of the New Testament. We kind of think of him as a super Christian. Do you know super Christians need prayer? People who we think are, you know, man, if I could just be like them, I would, I would be so holy. Paul didn't see himself that way. Paul saw himself as someone that said, guys, please pray for me. I, I don't know that I can do this by myself. In fact, I know I can't. So please pray for me. Pray that I can speak boldly. Pray that I can do what God has called me to do. So pray for your leaders. Pray for your leaders. And that's where I want to talk about our leaders, the Simpsons. Um, we need to pray for provision, for boldness, and for God's leading, for Pastor Jim and for Carmen and their family. Now, uh, I told you earlier that I wanted to give you guys an update. Uh, first off, thank you, thank you, thank you for the prayers. Um, just as, as a quick update for those who don't know, um, there have been two surgeries that have taken place within the Simpson household within the past couple of weeks. The first uh, was uh, breast cancer surgery uh, that Carmen went through. And the doctor, the surgeon said, that it went so smoothly. It was a, as smooth as it could be. And they got everything out. When they were looking at things, there was, it, from, from a modern medical understanding, they got everything and there's no way it's coming back. Right? Praise God. The second surgery, uh, if you don't know uh, their son Zoe, Zoe, is, um, Zoe has had a number of surgeries throughout his life. And um, one of these most recent surgeries, the surgery just happened on Friday, in fact, was actually to remove some pins, remove some pins and plates that were put in in a previous surgery. And the same words, the surgery went so smoothly. The surgeon said that they made the incision and that the, the screws and the pins and everything practically fell out. Right? Praise God. That's what we were praying for. We've also been praying for, uh, for people to be in good spirits, right? And uh, when I was speaking with Pastor Jim yesterday, Zoe's doing really well. Zoe's doing really, really well. He was having fun playing video games yesterday, uh, sitting up. Um, he's in pain, of course. He's recovering, but he was doing really, really well. He also told me Carmen had her best day yet yesterday. So praise God. Praise God that he is living and active and his word is active in our lives and his his healing hand is upon the Simpson family. Um, but I'd say, please don't stop praying because we're looking at uh, another, uh, I, believe, I believe, another five weeks recovery time for Carmen, another um, three weeks recovery time for Zoe. And so that there's still recovery. We still want to cover them in prayer, but God has heard and answered our prayers just as we have been praying them. Surgeries went better than they, as best as they possibly could have gone, and they are both recovering really, really well. Uh, they also, uh, Jim and Carmen, wanted me to communicate how much it has meant to them, uh, all of you who have been bringing food to them. Um, they have, I don't believe, have had to cook hardly a single meal since Carmen's surgery. Uh, people have been bringing fresh dinners. Some people are bringing frozen dinners to be heated up later, and uh, it has been a huge, huge blessing to them. Carmen specifically uh, said that she really appreciated the comfort food. So um, this is a way that we can bless and minister to our pastor and his family, uh, is to, to provide um, for these physical needs as well so that they can focus on healing, they can focus on what they need as a family, um, because... They, they just need that time to, to rest and recover. So please um, do continue to pray for them. Um, I think that we'll probably see Pastor Jim back here in the near future. Uh, right now they're watching from home, so if, if you guys want to give a shout-out to, to Zoe and Carmen and Pastor Jim and Ezra, they're all at home. Hey, guys, we love you. We're so thankful for you. Um, and we are so blessed to call you our pastors. Uh, we, we are so, so blessed to have the Simpson family lead our church. And... Um, it has been a huge blessing to them, everyone that has been involved in praying for them and uh, helping with meals. If you are still interested in helping with meals, maybe you've not signed up yet, uh, the plan is to continue providing meals for, for quite a while, uh, though I think that uh, they're transitioning to some uh, frozen dinners that the Simpsons can just kind of heat up or throw in the crock pot whenever they want. My wife, Crystal, is overseeing that. If you'd like to be involved, please talk with her. Um, but overall, man, praise God. 
praise God that he is watching out for the Simpson family. Praise God that he has equipped us as a church to be able to continue moving forward uh, and growing in maturity, uh, even though our, our pastor has to step back for a moment. So thank God for that. So, so as, as we end today, I want you to, to remember that all of this is, is about growing into who God has called us to be. This whole book of Ephesians has been about a healthy church growing up even more. And so, finally, pray, right? This is where I want to end today because uh, we have the whole armor of God, and I believe all of that comes down to prayer. You can pray the armor on over yourself. You can pray and ask God to help you remember the truth and to help reaffirm your right standing with Him. You can ask God to help you be prepared to take up the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation, to be ready with the, with the combat boots of readiness, as I call them, um, and to just fill your heart and your mind and your soul so that you are prepared and ready for uh, whatever is going to come your way because we do need to stand. I believe it all comes down to prayer, and that is through reading His Word, that is through praying with others, that is through praying privately. Um, as Kayla mentioned earlier, uh, we have an opportunity to pray at the end of service. So if you want someone to partner with, if you want someone to lock shields with today, please see one of our uh, prayer and ministry team in the back of the sanctuary here. Uh, I believe that God has brought you here this morning because He loves you, and He wants to meet the needs that are in your life. He wants to free you from whatever has held you in bondage. He wants to reveal the lies of the enemy and have you walk in the full freedom that he offers. So I'm going to pray and close us out, and um, just thank you guys so much for being a part of this with me this morning. Thank you, Lord Jesus, uh, for your word in our hearts. Thank you for the recovery of Carmen and Zoe. Thank you for providing for your church. We love you, and we praise you, and we ask that you would guide our hearts, that you would awaken us to all that you're doing within our lives, and that you would receive all the glory. We love you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.